This week on KPBS's new podcast, Only Here, a story about navigating the challenges of being gay and undocumented. I did remember them telling me you need a social security number for us to help you with housing. They can't really do much about that, you know, and I understand that. Listen to Only Here wherever you get your podcasts. So that's like our parents' biggest fear. We had to leave Somalia because of war. We had to leave the refugee camp because of like starving and stuff. And then what if we have to leave here again and then because we're not wanted? So it's like a fear, constant fear that they have to live with every day now. Do you feel the fear too? Or? I feel it whenever like my parents express it. They like, the more they watch the news, the more they like talk about it and, and it like reflects. So it's like reflecting on us and our children and like everybody who are not born here. So it's like you hear it every day. Welcome to my first day, exploring stories of those who've come to San Diego from elsewhere and now call it home. I'm Andrew Bracken. Originally from Somalia, Fama Moose has no memories from her birthplace. Fleeing war and strife there, she and her family left the country when Fama was just a baby. They landed in a refugee camp in Kenya, where Famo spent much of her childhood, until they were able to come to the United States in 2004. Alongside her parents and five sisters, she arrived in San Diego at the age of 12, not fully prepared for such a drastic new life. Here's Fama Musa's story of... My first day. I thought we, would, we took like five days to get here, but it was only a day. <laughs> so we left Nairobi around like seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And that's the first time we got in our first plane. So it was like shaking and cracking the whole time. And then you could hear the middle, like it was like a busted plane. We thought we were gonna die. And it was like the first plane ever that we were on. And then when we first came to America, we stopped in New York. That's where we transferred to another plane. And then after that, we stopped in Chicago. And then after that, we got on another plane to come here. We just knew that we were going to America. That's it. We didn't know if, even if they had like different states or cities and all that. We just know that we were going to America and that it was different from where we were and that it was going to be safer there than where we were. Everybody else mostly slept on the plane except me. I was awake the whole time because I was scared. I was freaked out anyway because I'm afraid of heights. And then we were like in like three different planes before that. So I was like, I'm done with airplanes. So I just started crying like I want to be down now. Especially the landing and the takeoff. I still, I'm scared. We came around the evening time, like around four o'clock, five o'clock-ish. The sun was just going down. I remember first getting off the plane and then there were like people everywhere of different colors, different everything. So it was kind of like culture shock. It was crazy. We were all like frozen. And then everybody was just staring at us like, who are they? We were tired and we were scared you know, and we were like shocked. And the, only, the first thing that I noticed, well, back home when they were doing the medical exams and all the tests, we saw some like people with different colors and stuff. That's the first time we saw like white people, different that had people that had different skin color than us. But when we came here, it was like, we thought we were going to see like more of like people that looked like us. So that was shocking and 
I don't know, scary because I never seen with people with different like color eyes before. So it was scary to stay, to stare at people with, like somebody with like blue eyes or green eyes. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're aliens. So somebody came to pick us up and then they drove straight to City Heights to 50th Street and that's where they dropped us off. And then on the drive, we were, that, that's the first time we saw all the tall buildings and all the cars on the streets and all the people walking around. So, but at first I was like, wow, I was like amazed because I never seen buildings that tall. I, never, I only knew about like houses and huts and stuff. So it was very different from where I came from. They came upstairs with us and then they showed us around like this is the kitchen, this is the bathroom, how to use everything for like an hour. And we were just tired, we were like traveling all day. So we were just sitting around and then they showed my mom, my dad and my older sister. Only my dad and my older sister spoke English so we didn't understand anything that he was saying. So we were just sitting there staring at him. He ordered food and then we ate and then we just went to sleep but we didn't sleep in any of the beds. We all slept on the floor. <laughs> we were scared of the beds, including our parents. Why, we just, you normally didn't sleep in beds? Yeah, we normally just slept on the floor, just put rugs or blankets on the floor, so it was like a big difference. So we didn't sleep on the beds for like a week. <laughs> the next morning we woke up and we were all kind of like lost. We didn't know where we were. We thought that we were like back home. So we were like disoriented for a minute. And then we were just sitting around because we didn't know how to use the oven. He, he talked pretty fast. So we were like, okay, now what? And then he came back like in the morning around 8.30ish and then he brought food because I guess he knew that people didn't get it the last time. He brought food and then we just ate. We just stayed at home all day. We were too scared to go outside. So we just stayed in the house and watched TV all day. We didn't leave the house for like a week after we got here. And then my dad was the first person to leave the house to go get papers signed because we couldn't, we were all kids. So we had to be in schools and stuff and start life here. So he had to go sign papers and then give documents. So he was out all day. And then the next day, my mom was the one to leave. So we, we left like one at a time <laughs> until everybody was like, okay, time to go to school a month later. Starting a new school for anyone can be tough. But for Famo, it was especially challenging. She jumped into seventh grade, in the middle of the year, mind you, speaking no English and not even really having been in a traditional schoolroom before. My parents never went to school, and I never went to school before that. They had those, like, um, where they had a classroom, and then they would just pick somebody who's available in the community, and they were like, you want to go teach that class? And it was just like a religious school where they were teaching like the Quran and religious stuff. And then sometimes they would teach like ABCs and how to write your name, but we never went to like official school until we came here. It was weird, it was different being in a classroom with like a bunch of students and just like going to school every day. It was like a process, you have to get used to it and stuff. And then I started in the middle of seventh grade. It was like March, the middle of the year, it was crazy. Everybody else is already settled and everybody has already made friends and then just a stranger coming in and then with no English and then it was hard because the teacher was trying to help me but she couldn't understand me so she was frustrated. I couldn't understand what was going on and I was frustrated so it was 
It was a very hard time. Well, it was hard because I didn't speak any English and I didn't learn any English while I was in seventh grade at all because I just didn't know anything. So I just went to school every day and just sat there at the back of the corner and just staring at everything that's happening, like just like watching TV. Unfortunately, eighth grade didn't get much better for FAMO. Yet she still was graduated on to high school, to her dismay. High school definitely had its challenges, but also led to several breakthroughs for her, starting with English. At first, I was just like, everything was just like bird talking. It was just like sound. And then all of a sudden, I could just understand people. It was, it was weird. But then I watched a lot of TV, like learning shows and stuff, so that helped too. And then I had that um, ESL class, so it, it just little by little, all of a sudden, I could understand and then I could just speak it. It was just like, out of nowhere, now I speak English. <laughs> right now I'm more like involved with the English language than my own language. Because the only time I speak it, it's with uh, my parents, and then that's it. And then I made friends by the time I went to like 11th grade. That's when I met people from where we used to live. Like some of my friends, they came too, and then we became friends. And then that's when I started to enjoy high school and then be in like clubs and stuff. It was awesome because at first, the first two years of high school, I, it was just like middle school where I just go to school and then I didn't know anybody. I would try to talk to people, but then it was hard to understand. And then I had like a really heavy accent, so they couldn't understand me. So it was, it was crazy. And then more people started to come and then we were like, started hanging out in groups and then other people wanted to join, and then that's when I got to actually be friends with people who were born in America, and then it was just like a combination of both. Uh, More people came, and then I got to be like, I don't know, in my own skin. During high school, she also remembers the first American-born friend she made. And then she's the only one who actually came to our table to introduce herself and be like, she was very direct and she always spoke her mind. She was, she was like, I want to join you guys. I want to be your friends. I want to learn about your culture. And then she was just very talkative and we we're like, okay. And then she just came and it was like, dived into the group. And then she just started doing that every day. What would you talk about with her? Would you ask her questions? Or? Um, at first, we would just talk, and then she would, ju- she would be the one asking questions, like, what is that on your head? Why are you wearing this? What are you doing? Where did you come from? Just talking about, like, trying to get to know us. And then we were like, can you help us with this? And then we started talking about schoolwork and stuff, and then it was just like that. Did any of those questions like bug you or like annoy you? No, it was actually refreshing because most people would just stare at us. They're like, they want to talk to us, but they're like scared or they don't know how we would react. And she was like the first one to actually come and then try to know us. So we were like happy about it and we were happy to talk about it because if you don't talk about it, they're not going to know who we were. Along with learning English and finding friends, high school was also when Fama was introduced to what would become her greatest passion. Photography. Through a local nonprofit called the Audra Project, she started taking photography classes and found a direction for her life, one that is still guiding her today. And then I read about it, and then the, uh, the one thing that I saw was like telling your story through photography, and that caught my eye because I wanted to tell my story. I wanted I wanted people to know who they who I was, but I didn't speak in English, so they were like, "You can use photography as like a way to communicate with other people," and I was like. 
I want to do that. He helped me with my English. It was like another ESL class, but with photos. Yeah, the first one that I ever liked was like a self-portrait of me holding a camera, taking it like in front of the mirror. The mirror was so dirty. It was the bathroom mirror, and then I had the flash on, so you can't really see my face. It was just like the flash of the mirror and stuff. Now, a mother herself, Fama reflects on her memories in the refugee camps she lived in Kenya, as well as her own kids' very different childhood in the U.S. I feel like I have two homes, but at the same time, I've been here more than there. So at the moment, this feels like more home than, because I don't know what, it's like I'm starting to lose like some of the memories of when I was living there. The whole time we were in a refugee camp. There, by the time you turn five, you have like some responsibilities that you have to take care of. You have to help your parents with the kids because they have to go work. And then you have to learn how to cook so you could take care of the kids when your parents are not there. And then you have to learn how to go get water. You have to learn how to go get the wood for fire. It's like houses, but like made of mud, like huts houses with like little tiny windows and one door. It had like a metal on top where when it rains, it gets really loud. It made that, 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 that sound. We all had like our space and stuff. So we were allowed to like build around it and just like nest, like do your own thing. So we had like a little garden on one side. We had like a backyard on the other side. And then we would add like every time somebody has a baby or somebody gets married, they would add like a little house like attached to that. So it was like a little houses that were like all connected. There's no fridge, there's no electricity, there's no lights, but the little lamps that you put gas and then you light it with like... No internet? Fire, no internet, no TV, no no phones, nope, none of that. Yeah, sounds like torture now. (laughs) But I would love to go back home and visit, but it's like not my home anymore. And then here in America, they're just... It's very different. They don't have, like, their job is just to be kids. Famo and her family are all Americans now. Yet, despite that, many of the fears and uncertainty they experienced as refugees remain with them. We're all citizens. We're all Americans. But when you see the news and all the bans, like the Muslim bans, the wall and all that, it's like, it feels like, the future, like, the the way of living, like, at this moment, like, it's changing. Like, any day now, there could be, like, something, um, a law that's written that says everybody else who are, like, refugees have to leave. So, so that's, like, the fear that all refugees and all people who are, like, not born here have. So that's, like, our parents' biggest fear. We had to leave Somalia because of war. We had to leave the refugee camp because of, like, starving and stuff. And then what if we have to leave here again and then because we're not wanted? So it's, like, a fear, constant fear that they have to live with every day now. Do you feel the fear too, or? I feel it whenever, like, my parents express it. They, like, the more they watch the news, the more they, like, talk about it and, and it, like, reflects so it's like reflecting on us and our children and like everybody who are not born here. So it's like you hear it every day. Having just returned from Minnesota for an opening of her work, a major moment for her, 
She reflects on why photography means so much. I'm like about memories, like preserving memories, giving people their memories, because I don't have a picture of me when I was younger or like my parents or when I was a baby. So I always have a camera on me whenever like a baby's born or when there's like weddings or when there's like events. So I want to continue doing that and also own my own studio. There's like no photo album of me when I was, before I was 12. I'm gonna catch up on memories that I lost. Thanks for listening. To see some of Famos' pictures, she can be found at Famos Photos on Instagram. That's at F-A-M-O-S Photos. Also, a big thank you to Christina Chamat and Melinda Shement from The Audra Project. If you haven't already, we hope you're subscribed. Just search for My First Day on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Solid reviews always welcome, but no pressure there. You can find us online at kpbs.org slash myfirstday. I'm Andrew Bracken. My First Day was produced by me for AB Squared Creative Group. Music today by Chris Curtis and the Satellite Ensemble. Thanks also to Andre Boryakin for art support and Melissa Diaz for kind of everything. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is programming coordinator. Nate John is innovation specialist, Jill Linder is programming manager, and John Decker is director of programming. Thanks, see you next time.